What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. J.C. Ryle, the 19th century Anglican bishop, said, Our Lord has many weak children in his family, many dull pupils in his school, many raw soldiers in his army, many lame sheep in his flock. Yet he bears with them all and casts none away. Happy is that Christian who has learned to do likewise with his brethren. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. This is my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And if you're new here, we're so thankful that you are here. And uh, just, I guess, some info up front. The Religionless name has nothing to do with us. Very religious people here. Very Christian and love our Lord. But the world that we find ourselves in, and especially this country, is becoming more and more religionless, more and more secular, and that's where the name comes from. So don't be fooled. Be wise as a fox or a serpent. Uh, don't be as wise as a serpent. I don't know if there's anything good when you attach it to being a serpent. So be as wise as a fox um, when it has to do with our naming convention here. That is here. a verse. Who knows? Wise as serpent, harmless as doves. Do I have that right? Maybe that's right. <laughs> Let us know in the comments. Anyways. Um, We're religious. <laughs> yeah. We are religious. Uh, Hopefully we'll have a chance to prove that throughout this show better than we have already. So today um, we're going to be getting back to our discussion on the assurances of salvation. Uh, again, we've discussed already the road to salvation we looked at really our five points on the road to salvation. You can find those episodes um, in the catalog and go check out the previous shows. And we've already talked about four of the 10 assurances of salvation. And we will be discussing point number five today in our assurances. We'll also be getting in or getting back into our discussion on the podcast from ChristianPost.com. And it's titled Gender Indoctrination. And we are on episode three of our discussion on that podcast. So that's what we're going to be sort of discussing on really the back half of the news. Um, so we're going to be getting to the news as well. Stuff that we thought was interesting from a Christian perspective. There was a ton of news this week. We couldn't possibly get to all of it. 
So we just kind of grabbed the stories that we thought were interesting, maybe some stuff that not everybody's talking about. Um, certainly some stuff other people have discussed already. Um, so we'll get into the news. We'll get into the podcast review. And then on the back end of that of the podcast, we will discuss our assurances of salvation. Um, but before we get to all of that, honey, is there anything you would like to say? Um, I guess pray for us um, as we're going to Michigan. Um, I guess for a lot of people, it's just a time to connect, reconnect with family. And I'm sure a lot of other Christians are thinking the same thing, like hopefully get to talk to some family or friends. Um, just encourage them to get right with Jesus again. Um, I mean, our podcast is about mostly people who say they're Christians, but aren't living it. And we all have family members and friends like that. So um, I have a lot of people on my mind that I, I hope to be bold enough and have opportunity to um, talk with them. Um, the seriousness of uh, the way they're living contrary to Jesus's commands. And so, yeah, just pray for that, for the boldness and for God to set up um, a time for that. I know it can be hard because if you're just around a bunch of family and friends for Christmas and um, all your get togethers, it's kind of hard to have that discussion. Um, so yeah, we praying for everyone else who's probably thinking the same thing, planning yeah. to do the same thing. Yeah. Pray for opportunities to, you know, speak on the gospel, speak on Christ. Now is obviously a perfect opportunity. So we'll pray for you. You pray for us and we'll all share the gospel together. So uh, in addition to that, if you could keep us in your prayers, it sounds as though the House of Representatives is pushing to have the vaccine mandate for COVID-19 removed from the military with this latest defense authorization bill. Um, you guys that have been here for a while know that I'm in the Air Force. I have filed a religious accommodation for the COVID-19 vaccine, and my career has really been put in park um, ever since then. So this would be nice if it happened. Um, but not just for the Air Force members, for members of every branch, that would be beneficial. So just pray that this actually, I guess, goes somewhere and we get some relief. Uh, I know our family would certainly be blessed because of it. So our plugs for the week. So you guys know we always discuss cardinal contingency solutions. And I saw a news story this week that as soon as I saw the headlines, I was like, that's why you need Team Cardinal. And so right here, dozens of Christians kidnapped from buses while en route to wedding and a funeral in Nigeria. It says the suspected Fulani herdsmen in southwestern Nigeria kidnapped Christian workers taking a bus to a wedding while another group of uh, Christians were kidnapped en route to a funeral in the same state. Um, it says that they were beaten and left for dead. She says, my cousin was beaten almost to the point of death because she couldn't walk fast. They left her thinking she was dead. She later got revived. Um, but it, you know, goes through and discusses in this article, you know, and I don't know that these were American Christians or just Nigerian Christians, but 
you know, I talk to you guys week after week after week about, you know, especially for churches, that's what we're most concerned with here. And we send missionaries around the world to do the Lord's work, but we're sending them oftentimes into these dangerous situations with people that hate them. And it's really a good idea to have a plan. You know, it's not a great idea once you get rolled up on by the Fulani herdsmen and they're beating you and kidnapping you to go, boy, how should I get out of this? That's a really bad time to try to develop a plan. A really good time to develop a plan is now in the comfort of your home with your church when you're getting trained and all these sorts of things before you step out the door. Have a plan. Cardinal contingency solutions are the best in the world at contingency planning, and they can help your church be prepared before they step out the door to, you know, how do you avoid being kidnapped? What happens when the Fulani herdsmen show up? How do you, you know, de-escalate a situation once they start, you know, the whole process, right? Then how do you escape? How do you get rescued? It's a there's a lot of steps involved. Cardinal is, um, they've been training our military on this forever. They're the best in the world. So reach out to them, send them an email, see if they have, um, you know, how they can help you. I'm certain you would be blessed because of it. Also, you guys know we are proud members of the Christian podcast community. Love being there. Christian podcast community is growing and thriving. So I hear Got about 60 podcasters on there. I know recently we just um, broke the 100,000 downloads in a month. I believe it was in a month, maybe in a year, probably in a month. Either way, that's a lot of downloads because these are all indie podcasters. They're not the Joe Rogans, the NPR that Spotify keeps trying to shove down your throat. These are normal you know, godly men and women, pastors of small mm-hmm. churches that just have good godly things to say. And, yeah. you know, they have everything from podcasts on youth, student ministries to women's ministries to theology, apologetics, everything under the sun. Um, and I'm sure you'd be blessed because of it. So go check them out. Links are in the show notes. And the cool thing is, if you subscribe to the Christian podcast community, you get access to a feed that has all of us. So 60 podcasters in one feed. So it makes it easy for you. And um, yeah, we'd all be blessed if you would do so. All right. Do you have anything else before this takes a turn for the worse? <laughs> Just get through it. All righty then. We got the red light in the background and it's very fitting. Um, prepare yourself. Gird your loins. Put on the full armor of God as we prepare to take our weekly trek through the valley of the shadow of death and take a look at the news of the week. I just hear the music in the background. So uh, we don't have this news story here. I just wanted to touch on this headline quickly. Uh, If you guys are following, Brittany Griner has just been released from a Russian prison uh, this week. And if you guys are tracking that, Uh, or you may be tracking that. And if you're not, I don't know how much you would have known about Brittany Griner before this. I don't remember if you brought it up before or not. I think we might've touched on it. Well, she's a WNBA player. She was arrested for drugs in Russia a few months ago, I suppose now. 
Well, just this week, the Biden administration worked out a prisoner swap for Brittany Griner. And there's a lot of details in this story, you know, a lot of angles you can take on this. And we're not going to get into that today. We may give this story some time to flush out. So I will just say for now, pray for Brittany. Um, I would be stunned if she considered herself a Christian. She's a lesbian, so far as I know, and lives a sexually immoral lifestyle. So she needs our prayers. And hopefully, this time in a Russian prison could have awakened something in her. So just pray that the Holy Spirit would move on her. You know, she would cry out to God. She would repent and believe. Uh, so mm -hmm. pray for Brittany Griner. Don't. How long was she there? She was there for, a f I don't know, a few months, I suppose. She was sentenced to nine years. But that was kind of a political thing. They wanted a prisoner swap, which they ultimately got. So just pray for her that God would do a work in her life. And with that, also pray for Paul Whelan. He's the only other fella that I know that's imprisoned in Russia. <laughs> and uh, he's been there longer than Brittany Griner. And I just have to imagine that seeing somebody be swapped prisoner for prisoner that got there, you know, that's been in Russia less time than you. Mm -hmm. It just has to be a difficult season yeah. for Paul Whelan. Um, so just pray that his soul wouldn't be too downcast, you know, that he wouldn't lose hope. Yeah, but then also pray that our government would do something to bring Paul home. But yeah, just pray that he'd find strength in Christ during a, probably a really difficult time to watch someone else walk free and you're still there. So that's all I really want to say about that. Just keep them in prayer. And we'll see how the details of all of this sort of stuff shakes out as the the days, you know, move ahead. So our first real news story that I wanted to touch on, just kind of surprising, but boy, do I think it's good news. So do you want to read this headline, honey? Florida polls $2 billion in state investments from BlackRock over concerns regarding social engineering and ESG initiatives. And then, yeah, maybe just these two paragraphs. Florida's treasury is divesting from real estate, giant black rock, pulling approximately $2 billion worth of state securities. The state's chief financial officer, Jimmy Patronis, announced in a scathing press release. The predominant reasons given behind the move were BlackRock's usage of the environmental, social, and governance standards, also known as ESG scoring, which puts emphasis on social justice and other woke initiatives when deciding who has access to capital. Yeah, that is a good headline, in my opinion. And I think every freedom-loving state should be doing the same thing. Now, sadly... After these recent elections, we found out there's not very many freedom-loving states mm -mm. left in America. But nonetheless, those who do love freedom should be doing the same thing. Because I think we're in a place, probably have been here for far too long. We didn't realize it, but we're here now, um, where we cannot place profit at all cost. You know, mm. we can't, that can't be our, you know our thought process anymore. And I used to have that thought process. I remember talking, you know, with family and like, I don't really care who's investing my money. I want them to be the most greedy, you know, money hungry, just 
make the money, right? That's what I'm paying you for. Not anymore. Our country's going to hell in a handbasket. It's got to be morals over profit at this point. And, you know, we've got to identify the people that are against us. And we have to forego a little bit of that idol, (laughs) our favorite idol, money and profit um, to really, if you want to call it saving our states and our nation. And, you know, $2 billion to BlackRock is kind of a drop in the bucket. I mean, I think they're one of the largest investment firms probably in the world, but you got to start somewhere, right? And I think this is an area where Christians should be actively engaged in politics. Um, We have to be, you know, because you can't just sit on the sidelines. This is our money that the state's investing in a sense. I mean, where else does the state get the money but you, right? Right. So we've got to be advocating that these politicians would do things that are for the betterment of our nation, not just our own selfish impulses and desires, you know, put the nation that our children are going to be growing up into maybe at a little bit higher of a place than your immediate wants and needs. Um, I know. Cause we get angry at the generation before us. Like what are our kids going to say about our generation? Then there is nothing <laughs> that they couldn't say that we don't deserve. Yeah. They could say the most yeah. harsh critical things and we would just have to eat it. Um, I mean, we've talked to you guys about the boomer generation here. It all probably starts with them, but we're guilty just the same. But I think so. it's important what we can do is recognize where we've gone wrong and teach our children while they're young. Because nobody was really teaching us like they didn't see the spiral we were in. And that's why we're such advocates here. And again, you know, we're learning as we're going as well. So it's not like just mm-hmm. because we advocate for something it's because we figured it out long ago. You know, we're kind of just coming to this and having these discussions with you guys openly, but doing things like, hey guys, we're canceling Netflix, Disney Plus, and Amazon Prime. And that's going to be really boring for us. Let me tell you why we're doing it. And let me go to scripture and show you why we should do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are the things that if we want to raise our kids to be better than our you know, despicable generations that have come before them, we've got to start raising them in a a better way than us, you know, enjoyment, entertainment, money can't be the most important things in our, our lives that we're teaching our kids. And this is a small win. But I think it's something we should be, you know, talking to sit down with your kid when you're writing an email to your governor hey, son, this is how you get engaged in politics. I'm sending an email to the governor and here's what I'm asking him to do. You know, hey, help help me find some scripture to back this up. Do something like that, you know, be civic minded. I don't, you know, you can't just sit around anymore, which is what we've probably been doing, what I would say the boomer generation is probably most known for, right? Just sitting around wringing your hands as the country falls apart and you're just watching Fox News every night, getting angry as... Mm -hmm. You know, Sean Hannity's probably still trying to figure out Hillary Clinton's emails. Like, it's not solving anything. Yeah, You got to start getting active and doing this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And we've got to get engaged as citizens because we've always, we always, the religious-minded folks in this country, we're always intended to be the moral compass of this nation. Yeah. And the reason the country's fallen off the rails is we've gone silent. 
in so many respects. Or, you know, we've really lost our will because we really like these niceties, these trinkets and yeah. the entertainment and the streaming services. So and I think yeah, we don't are a rock moral... the boat too, too hard. Yeah, we and we are a moral compass for the world. I mean, we can't, or our nation at least, you can't say that we shouldn't be concerned. I mean, just having an impact um, on your own children and it's not, and you know, if you invest in them, you're investing in the nation and you won't see an effect right away, but hopefully like it is the family unit that shapes the nation. Like we're not going to make an impact probably all on our own. It's probably going to be the next generation or even the generation after our kids. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. We should not. (laughs) First off, we probably don't deserve to reap the benefit of a righteous and moral nation. (laughs) We've done too much to sully it. Uh, We probably far more deserve the just punishment of the Lord. But so we're certainly looking decades down the road and that's what we're trying to to fix. And, you know, this is a small one, but this ESG thing is going to be a death nail to a lot of businesses. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a social credit, uh, credit score. So if you're unfamiliar with ESG, I mean, I'm not a whiz on it, but in a sense, this is going to be, you know, when you try to go to the bank to get a loan, well, they're going to check, well, how are you on climate change? How are you on diversity, inclusion, and equity? Oh, well, your scores are pretty low in those areas. So you're not going to get money for your business, for your startup. So, you know, again, that's going to be shaping the way our society goes. Well, hey, you know what? If I want to get money to start my business, whatever business, if I want to expand the church, I mean, I don't know. Now we got to get more minorities and LGBTQ um. Uh, people working on the staff in order for me to get the loan from the bank to build my building, you know, that sort of stuff. And that's what it's trying to steer you towards. It's a black mirror episode. It is. That's not the future we want to leave our kids and grandchildren. No. So this is a perfect example. I think that you can get involved and try to steer your, your governor and, you know, advocate that the state would move your money um, from a company like BlackRock to this is just one example, I might have mentioned them to you guys in the past, but there's a company called Timothy Plan. And they handle billions of dollars in investments, but they have a biblical based model of investing. And they list it down here, the things that they don't invest their money in. You know, if you support abortion, if you support, you know, Mm. the LGBTQ, um, or whatever, I don't know what their different standards are here, but they'll tell you very clearly. So companies like Disney and Amazon that support abortion and, you know, gender mutilation of your children, they won't invest their money there. Doesn't mean this is the only company that does it, but maybe, you know, one of the things that you don't want to do, and we talk about a lot in the Air Force is don't just bring me a problem. If you bring me a a problem, then you're really just complaining to me, but bring me a solution, right? So if you can go to your governor and say, hey, Let's quit investing our money with BlackRock. They hate us and they're ruining the world. Let's move our money to a company like Timothy Plan or maybe go and search two or three other alternatives. Give them an an option and, you know, make their life easier. But this is stuff I think we have to be doing. Um, so just consider that I'm going to be moving my money to Timothy Plan <laughs> personally 
whenever I'm able to retire from the Air Force and actually move my money. Um, this is probably unless I find something better where we're going to put our retirement funds. So big kudos to Governor DeSantis here. You know, what he's done with BlackRock, now Disney, you know, he um, took it to Disney earlier this year or yeah, earlier this year. So he just seems to be hitting home run after home run. So kudos to him. And uh, as our favorite Christian rapper here says, God over money's the movement. And uh, I would say it better be if we want to actually rebirth this nation. So do you have any last thoughts, honey, on Florida and BlackRock? No. No? I think it's important. I think you should reach out to your politicians. But anyways, up next here, we're kind of coming full circle on this story. We did discuss it at the time when the news first broke. And um, yeah, so we're going to kind of maybe close the loop here. We'll see. Do you want to read that headline, honey? Matt Chandler receives standing ovation upon return to the pulpit. Matt Chandler is back. You I know, when I was reading through the comments, I was like, everybody was just commenting just on that headline. It's like, how many people read it? Not that I disagreed with them, but it just made me laugh when you go to right. the comments. I'm sure. I mean, obviously, it's a clickbaity comment, yeah. I would say. Be, but I mean, whatever. They should, if they love the man and their pastor, they should applaud him for coming back. I don't necessarily have a problem with that too much. We'll discuss it as we go through. But do you want to read these first two headlines? Uh, the first two paragraphs, I'm sorry. The Village Church congregation gave a standing ovation to their pastor, Matt Chandler, who returned to the pulpit Sunday, more than three months after taking a leave of absence from his role as teaching pastor due to inappropriate social media messages with a woman who is not his wife. As he took the stage in his megachurch in Flower Mound, Texas, the members greeted him with cheers and whistles and a congregant yelled out, we love you, Matt, the New York Times reported. And then there's just two more paragraphs, or maybe I think, do you want to just read these two? We asked a lot of Matt, including time spent in study and prayer, personal reflection, and multiple intensives with trusted outside experts. Matt has completed everything asked of him with submissiveness, steadfastness, and humility, and we have received positive feedback from all involved. The elders wrote in an email, a copy of which was shared by the Roy's report. And as the Christian Post reported, Chandler announced in August that he accepted a decision by the elder board for him to take a leave of absence for engaging in inappropriate Instagram messaging, which was neither sexual nor romantic with a woman in the church. Yep. So we covered this story at the time that he got suspended, like I said, a few months ago. And in a sense, I'm happy that he's back. You know, he apparently did what they asked him to do. And now he's back. Um, and I still agree with what my original assessment was at the time. I don't remember word for word what I said. But, you know, I was pretty happy about the strong stance that the elders took um, in regards to Matt Chandler. Um, because Matt Chandler is a pretty big name in American Christianity, and that had to take some guts for the elders to do that. And really, just because church discipline is such a rare thing to see, is, and yeah. again, especially at that level, you know, I'm happy to see 
the village church was really tough in this case. But that also leads me into why I still have a problem with this. Because Matt Chandler, as far as we understand, really hasn't owned what he did. Mm -hmm. And it says down here, if I can find it in here. Mm -hmm. It says. uh, Yeah, I'll read these. Chandler, who maintained he wasn't aware at the time that he had done anything wrong, said he alerted Josh Patterson and Elder Chairman Jason Swords and submitted to their leadership in addressing the situation. He also informed his wife. I didn't think I'd done anything wrong in that, Chandler told the congregation in August. My wife knew that. Her, the woman's husband, knew that. And yet there were a couple of things that she said that were disorienting to me. The village church elders commissioned an independent law firm identified by the New York Times as Castaneda and Heidelman to investigate Chandler's messaging history across social media platforms, cell phone, and email. They concluded that Chandler violated our internal social media use policy, and more importantly, that while the overarching pattern of his life has been above reproach, he failed to meet the first Timothy standard for elders of being above reproach in this instance. And again, that goes back to, I love the eldership. Don't know anything about him at this church, but I love that statement from there or from them that they must be above reproach. And that means in every area. So even they say Matt Chandler, and I've never heard anything negative about Matt Chandler before this. So I'll take them at their word. He was above reproach except for one area And he might have just been slightly (laughs) less than above reproach. And that's all it took. So I wish every church would have this standard for their pastors and their elders, because boy, does America need pastors to be a, an example. So, yeah, that's good that he submitted to them. So that says something. Yeah, for sure. Um, Kudos to him again. And that may speak to his character. Like they said, he's above reproach. But really, my big problem with this is what lesson does Matt Chandler's congregation learn from this situation? I mean, this is really what I would like to know. I'd like to know what Mm -hmm. I can learn from this situation, you know, because the reason for the discipline is really ambiguous at best. And I think it's open to a lot of speculation. Mm -hmm. You know, when you just talk about inappropriate messaging, you know, but then not to mention the fact that like, well, my wife knows what's going on and her husband knows, well, maybe they need to be questioned too as well. Like, you know, so it kind of leaves it open to speculation. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure the congregation can really learn anything from this. And that's a problem to me. Um, Because again, it leaves me in the same spot as when the news first broke. And it kind of makes it seem like Matt is held up as some sort of a martyr who kind of begrudgingly submitted to the elders decisions in you almost had the idea of kind of pitting the congregation who loves Matt. Mm -hmm. He's really the face of that church against this, you know, rigid and, you know, maybe too strict of an eldership board. And I just don't like that sort of, at least from the outside looking in, that's the way it seems to me. Yeah. I can see um, how, yeah, it looks that way. And yeah, it does make you wonder what the the wife thought of the text um 
like you did say, it's open speculation. He didn't see anything wrong with it. He says his wife knew, but it doesn't say his wife um, thought it, that he was in the wrong or not. Her knowing is one thing, but what, did she disagree? Well, she didn't bring it to anyone's attention. If we remember yeah. the first story, it was another, it was another lady woman from the church, I think, that brought it to Friend of me. the woman he was texting. Yeah, so Matt Chandler's wife. And again, that's what leaves it open to speculation. Maybe it was completely harmless. Maybe he just texted maybe an inappropriate word. Maybe he said a, a curse word. I mean, who knows, right? But just come out and say it rather than just sort of... It was just of, an inappropriate word. It wouldn't matter if it was to a woman or to a man. The fact that it was to a woman, there was something inappropriate about it because it was a woman yeah. that he was messaging. So it, again, makes, it naturally makes you think it was something sexual. It could have been an emotional affair. I don't know. Well, it said it wasn't romantic. I don't know. Maybe it was how often they were messaging each other, and that might have been inappropriateness about it. Yeah. So the woman's husband knew, wife knew, and maybe didn't think anything of it because that's just, but that's just another issue that if this woman is messaging, they're messaging each other, pastors should not be counseling women women should counsel women just yeah i mean especially the, in privacy like that unless it's husband and wife with the pastor but yeah they certainly certainly shouldn't be doing it one-on-one -on -one. right and maybe that think. was the reason i don't know anyway i have issue with that I, I think that they should just um say that you don't message women anymore you can't have a private conversation with a woman, I just, yeah, that's not, it's not safe. Yeah. So the congregation doesn't even know what he said in the text to the woman. As far as so, we know, they don't. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but yeah, we so. We just have to trust the elders was what it comes down to. And I like the elders here. I think they, anyone in the story, they're my favorite ones. If that doesn't mean yeah. anything, but. You know, I think there's still going to be more to learn from this story as the time goes on. If I can be snarky and, uh, you know, a bit, I don't know, tongue in cheek. Figured maybe we'll figure out more when he went, writes his next New York Times bestseller, detailing all about the incident. He is a prolific writer, as far as I understand. Mm -hmm. So maybe, uh, who knows, maybe he's saving the best yeah, because you think if it not. wasn't a big deal, he would just come out and say what it was. I don't know. That's just the question. Everybody good wants material. If there's nothing wrong with it, are you going to teach your congregation? There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, he has to have confessed that it was sin if he's not. I just want to know, how do you repent of something if you didn't know it was wrong? He says he didn't know it was wrong. I mean, hopefully he learned. But again... I hope so. There's some ambiguity there. So, but either way, he's back. So uh, pray for Matt Chandler as well. You know, pray that his soul is right before God and his yeah. marriage is strong and, and yeah. all of that, you know, because that's what's important. So he doesn't necessarily owe me anything, but I'd like it if he did. So uh, the next story, though, that we have here, just interesting, I think, you know, if uh, you like to discuss theology with Roman Catholics. I think this one's interesting. Do you want to read the headline, honey? 
This week in Christian history, Mary declared sinless. Saint Sabas, if I'm saying that right, dies. Yeah, the Saint Sabas one, not as interesting. Um, but do you want to read that first paragraph? This week marks uh, the anniversary of when Pope Pius IX issued a controversial papal bull declaring that the Virgin Mary was conceived without original sin, a teaching known as the Immaculate Conception. Yep, and it says here that Pope Pius declared her sinless in, uh, on December 8th, 1854. And he says down here, from the very beginning and before time began, the Eternal Father chose and prepared for his only begotten Son, a mother in whom God would become incarnate, and from whom, in the blessed fullness of time, he would be born into this world, read the decree. And then it goes on to say, Therefore, far above all the angels and all the saints, so wondrously did God endow her with the abundance of all heavenly gifts poured out from the treasury of his divinity, that this mother, ever absolutely free of all stain of sin, all fair and perfect, would possess that fullness of holy innocence and sanctity than which under God one cannot even imagine anything greater in which outside of God no mind can succeed in comprehending fully. Boy, that is some lavish praise heaped on Mary. Um, but I do think this is fascinating, you know, because I don't know when I thought this really took place, but I do think it's interesting that the idea being really formulated and finalized is sort of a fairly new idea in the history of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, he does mention that it's sort of been tradition all throughout Catholicism. I don't know how far that goes back, but the 1854 was just sort of making mm -hmm. it official uh, that she was sinless. Apparently, it had you know, been tradition. He was the one to make it official. But even more interesting, they discuss in there that papal infallibility wasn't established until 1870. So I guess all the popes up until 1870, they, I don't they know. They say something, they just take it as truth. They don't test. Well, I think there's, they say. I don't know if there's rules surrounding it. I thought there were some things like when he sits in whatever his, you know, throne or something issues a decree, somehow it's infallible. I don't know all of the details. I do know a lot of Catholics who may loosely adhere to Pope infallibility, don't seem to like Pope Francis a lot, um, the current Pope. So who knows? But uh, I think it's interesting. I think it's a good tool to have in your, I guess, toolbox if you wind up discussing Roman Catholicism. You know, this idea of sinless Mary. And you know, even just going back through and reading, you know, how he discusses Mary you know, from the very beginning, from before time, you know, she's sinless, these heavenly gifts poured out on her. None of that is scriptural. <laughs> None of it. So uh, it's very... I don't know why they weird. made up the idea. Um, it just seems like an imagination. How could Jesus, you know, just wondering, why couldn't he have been born? 
from Mary, who is a sinner. What's wrong well, with that? <laughs> he could have, because he was. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, other than just the desire of man's heart to idolize something, and Mary just fits that bill so well, I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But uh, interesting. That's the only reason I wanted to mention it. I thought it was a very interesting little factoid in church history there. Old Pope Pius IX and that papal infallibility. So this last story here, though, I think will serve as kind of a good segue into our discussion on gender indoctrination. Uh, Do you want to read the headline? Biden official says taxpayer money should pay for body mutilating sex change surgeries for kids. There you go. And then we got a couple of paragraphs to read here. You want to just read Mm -hmm. maybe those four? Okay. The United States Department of Health and Human Services has expressed support for using taxpayer funds to cover the cost of body mutilating gender transition surgeries for minors. In written responses to Representative Mary Miller, Republican of Illinois, U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services, Xavier Becerra said that the Biden administration supports using taxpayer dollars to cover the costs of elective body deforming surgeries on youth, such as mastectomies and vaginoplasties. His responses were submitted Tuesday to the U.S. House Committee Committee on Education and Labor Tuesday. Becerra responded to a series of questions inquiring as to whether the administration believes taxpayers should pay for chemical castration and sex change operations, and if doctors should be forced to perform sex change operations on minor children without their parents' consent. He responded, the department follows the law and is working to ensure that all patients everywhere can access care free from from discrimination, stigma, and barriers. The Biden-Harris administration supports the upcoming release of the World Professional Association for Transgender Health uh, Standards of Care, version 8, and believes that all children and adults should be afforded life-saving, medically necessary care, he continued. Payers, both public and private, should cover treatments which medical experts have determined to be medically necessary. Yep, the old Secretary of Health and Human Services. So, you know, what it seems like to me, what Secretary uh, Becerra kind of said in a nutshell is, you know, he believes in using taxpayer dollars to perform gender reassignment surgery, even on minors. And that's what you can come to expect in a nation that's turned its back on God. Mm-hmm. It doesn't uh, surprise me. It makes perfect sense. And it's interesting, you know, that the care that he seems to want, you know, isn't really based solely on medical necessity, but simply on the idea that it's free from discrimination, Mm -hmm. stigma, and barriers. So pretty interesting. So he's saying that the parents are the barriers and that they should not be the ones determining if gender reassignment surgery is medically necessary. Just leave that decision up to the medical experts. I mean, you can certainly make that connection, you know, because they've talked plenty about, you know, 
that kids have the right to make these decisions, whether it's gender reassignment surgery, whether it's abortion, whether it's contraception, you know, they don't want parents to get in the way. And if you try to, you know, have some sort of, uh, what do they call that? The, um, it's banned in Canada now conversion therapy. You try to talk your kids out of not going down this route. I mean, boy, they'll, they want to throw you in jail for that now. This is how people are. They just idolize people with a title behind their name, a, a medical expert, a scientist. You know, they make fun of you for critically thinking and just using common sense. With everything we're told is science, they're like, don't worry about it. Just trust the experts. Just trust the science. You don't need to think for yourselves. And this is what they're teaching parents, dumbing them down. Just you let us make these decisions for your child. You don't know any better. You're just, you're just the person who birthed them. You don't know very much. Just let us experts handle it. That's what people are going to start believing. They're just trusting the experts. They think that they can't think for themselves or make decisions for their children. Yeah. I mean, and they've convinced people to really, you know, be in a place of fear you know, I mean, obviously that's the way our news is driven is fear based and everything sounds like it's the end of the world. And, you know, so, and again, they've, you know, they've talked about this even on the gender indoctrination podcast, you know, when they tell these parents, you know, would you rather have a dead son or a living daughter? You know, mm-hmm. would you rather be planning a right. transition party or a funeral? And it's like, Oh, I don't want my son to die. You know, they're lying to you. you and know? then they'll say, Oh, you can reverse do. it later. They'll lie. And they say yeah. it's all safe. Yeah, yeah. so I would say, certainly say that they see parents as part of that barrier. Yeah. And also, you know, they're saying we as citizens are kind of being told we need to support the destruction of our nation through the mutilating of people's bodies um, and somehow rendering so many in our society to be incapable of reproduction. That's what we need to spend our money on. And I've had this thought for a while. I may have even shared it here before. It is not fully flushed out. So forgive me if it's, you know, not the most well thought out um, idea here. But I think the reason that our leaders seem so willing to sort of let illegal immigrants just pour into our nation is really to cover the fact that if we were left alone, we're declining and we're a dying civilization, you know, we're below the rate of, I don't know what it's called, but it's like below the rate of replacement, essentially, in childbirthing. And, you know, I think, what was it last year, or, you know, just New York City, I heard, you know, African Americans in New York City aborted more children than they had mm-hmm. in that city. More aborted. You know, that's just a small sample, but our nation as a whole is below the rate of replacement. You know, so if we don't have millions of immigrants pouring in here, we might actually have our eyes open to realize that this is a pretty big problem. But instead, they've convinced us, propagandized us to have us actually go and advocate for the right to kill our own children, to kill our own offspring. And then we just blind ourselves to the dire consequences of that action. And, you know, I know probably going to get this video banned on YouTube, but you know, depopulation seems to be the name of the game in our world today. And flagged. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Come watch us on a rumble, you know, but I just, I believe that this is just another Avenue to get us there. 
to prevent people from having children. Um, If you get pregnant, kill them. Let's stop them before they're even able to get pregnant. And if you have them, they'll just get them later in the public school. Yeah. If you have, (laughs) you're dumb enough to have a kid today, they'll convince your kid to be the last of that line. Yeah. And, you know, puberty blocks, all of this sort of stuff we've talked about. It just, boy, it seems evident to me because the same people that are pushing and advocating for this stuff so much, the World Economic Forum types. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't say Klaus Schwab is the Antichrist, but boy, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) anywho. So, yeah, I mean, but again, this is what America voted for, right? Um, Or at least that's what we're told we voted for. So, and I don't know, maybe it's because I don't, I don't understand it. You know, uh, Raphael Warnock just won again in Georgia. And I don't know, maybe it's just, it eases the conscience of people. You know, they like to wear the label of Christian. So voting for these people like Joe Biden, who tells me he's a Catholic, but then he lets me give into all of my selfish, self-serving impulses like abortion you know, like all this sort of stuff that serves me into hell with everybody else. Raphael Warnock is another one. Well, he, he'll let me keep killing my baby so I can live my sexually immoral lifestyle. But he says he's a pastor. So that makes it okay. He told me Jesus said it was okay. Yeah, we're, we're told to test all things. So that's our fault. Right. And we're they not. don't want to test it. They just want to be, they want their consciences soothed as they march steadily down that highway to hell. Um, so I pray. I mean, I don't know what else we can do, but boy, we just seem to be lining up for this. Uh, it so, is a spiritual thing more than a political thing. It's absolutely to, spiritual. We have to see it that way. It's not, you can't fix a spiritual problem with politics. We're not going to fix it by just voting. I mean, we can vote and maybe make a little difference, save some lives, well, we obviously. Should vote, certainly, but voting has to be the very end of the, the whip. I mean, in I guess, order for know, the voting to go the right way, people have to have a spiritual awakening to vote the right way. Yeah, to you actually know? even push the right candidates. Because, yeah, it's hard to say, how could you vote for Ralphio Warnock? And they're like, well, who else was I going to w- vote for? Herschel Walker? I mean, nothing against the man, certainly not a senator. So here's your option. You can vote for Mehmet Oz, a transhumanist in Pennsylvania, or the guy who just had a stroke. Great. Those are two really good options. Thank you, Republican and Democrat Party. But again, the parties are a reflection of us. And that's the bankrupt nature of our society that promotes these people. So until, again, like Nikki said, we start doing all the the internal stuff, you know, within ourselves and within our communities to actually push the right people forward, you're going to get Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker to defend the nation. Boy, is that depressing. No, they used to get like, I don't know if they still have like speakers coming into like high schools and junior high, like motivating kids to not do drugs and stuff like, can we get in there and teach them 
you know, some of the things we talk about just about. No, they won't let you in here. Actually, I just heard a story this week. Kirk Cameron, you know, the great Christian actor, if you will. You know, he wrote a book and he was rejected from 50 different libraries from coming to read his book in the libraries. And some of those very same libraries had drag, drag queen story hours. So the drag queen could, you know, flashes but, genitals to a child, but Kirk Cameron couldn't speak about scripture. So, yeah, crazy. Just, I don't know. Don't ever come out of your prayer closet. Have someone slide you bread under the door. Well, you could go back in. You used to get into the schools as a re- recruiter. Just use that opportunity if you got back in. No, and oh, I would tell man. you, and again, and I may even have had it in my notes for later on, but this is the revolution, is not going to the schools. And it's not going to the school boards and well, shouting at people. Own kid. It's get your kid out of school and homeschool them. That's the revolution. Yes, but for the ones who are still there, there's who aren't going to be taken out of the schools. Someone's got to speak to them because it's not going to be their own parents. It's like, you can still go there. Hopefully. No, you can't, you can't walk in there and share the gospel. I would assume maybe there's some, we could do a good news club. I mean, sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, you can, and again, I'm not trying to poo poo that you certainly should try all avenues, you know, Uh, try every opportunity you can, but This does sort of lead us into our podcast review and, you know, and again, kind of talking about the gender mutilation that our illustrious leaders want to, you know, force us to pay for. Uh, We're discussing the podcast Gender Indoctrination, again, from the Christian Post, and we're on episode three. And we'll have it linked. This is going to be our podcast or our sermon recommendation, if you will at the end of the show for you guys to go give this a listen. It's but this, only like 30 minutes long. Yeah, they're not yeah. long episodes, but they are packed full of information. They're very good. Yeah, and they talk really fast. I had to keep pausing it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like they do down discuss things. things pretty quickly, so they can get a lot <laughs> in in 30 minutes. But this episode really seemed to try and, you know, look back and kind of focus on some people in history that kind of helped lead us to where we are today in this gender indoctrination society that we live in. And really good episode, a lot of good, good information in there, more than we're going to discuss here today. But the first point that I do want to discuss, they spoke to this lady named, who's, she went by the name Carla, and they said that she was a Christian, she was a conservative, and she was a counselor who was serving teens. And they mentioned that she was going by a pseudonym um, for the series for fear of retribution and reprisal. And that was the first time I paused the episode. I just thought, you know, whatever she has to say is almost irrelevant to me. That's the way it made me feel because she's not the hero we need. <laughs> That's the way it makes me think. You know, if you aren't willing to really just plant your flag mm-hmm. loud and proud, you know, stand your ground, you know, for whatever your convictions are, especially in the realm of religion and godliness you know, but instead you kind of want to make sure your identity's hidden. I almost prefer you just go and sit back down. You know, if you're going to try to do it behind a pseudonym, behind a mask, because we have presidents, we got politicians, we've got secretaries of human health 
services. Mm-hmm. We got entertainers, all these people that will openly and proudly say they want to sexually pervert your children. They want to allow your children to mutilate their bodies, mutilate mm-hmm. their genitals. They want to in- experiment on your children with unproven injections. And they'll yeah. do it proudly and openly. Yeah. Why is it the ones speaking the truth are the ones afraid? That's why that the second you go, it's just, you know, call me Carla. I'd go, why don't I call someone else? All right. Yeah. That actually wants to make a bold claim. I've never been yeah, a, a lot of these documentaries. There's people who don't want to show their And it's not face. that there isn't time for anonymous reporting and different things like that. But like so many other things, I feel like that's a bygone era. I mean, this is the time. I mean, it's it's warfare, right? We're in spiritual warfare, if not yeah. heading towards open There's warfare. There's people who are afraid to come out and share the truth. Well, and, and that's what I'm certainly seeing here. And Even people you know who agree with you on the truth, there's many of them, many people we know. And again, I'm not afraid. claiming that somehow I'm William Wallace here, you know, but... I think that's got to be the mindset. I'm going to make my stand here. And, you know, but if you want to make sure that your name doesn't get out, it just, I don't know. I feel like the reason you wouldn't want to is because it kind of takes your comfort away, potentially. It kind of puts your name out there, you know. But the idea of, hey, I really want to tell you the truth of what's going on, but just make sure no one knows it's me. Yeah, but people who look up to you will consider what you're saying and be more bold to speak out as well. But these Satanists who they know that they're not going to get shamed. They say all this wickedness and do all this wickedness in the open and people applaud them. People that would shame them are too afraid to actually come out and shame them. They've just been silenced. And again, I would say for comfort, reasons for fear reasons we don't want to rock the boat too hard but again it kind of sounds like a fence straddler yeah you know when you say i really want to tell you what's going on just don't let anybody know i'm the one who told you and nikki's mentioned it before many people have mentioned it before you know satan owns the fence so if you're straddling the fence you're playing in satan's backyard Mm -hmm. so just put your name on it you know be confident make a bold claim you know i Paul wasn't slipping pamphlets of Christianity under doorways and running off. He was standing in the temple getting beaten and walking back in there, right? That's the way change happens. And that's the problem, right? Everybody wants a martyr. Nobody wants to be the martyr. You know, hey, I really wish someone would go and stand up and tell those guys they're all really wrong. And they're like, why don't you do it? And you're like, Ooh, no, 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 no. Not going to be me. Let someone else go and suffer the consequences. Like, what kind of reputation, like, are we going to, like, what kind of a, what are people going to think of us? Like, we're already Christians. We're already hated by the majority of people in the world. Why? Well, we don't what, believe that. What is there to lose? We don't believe that, and I don't believe we want to believe that. You know, Jesus says that we will be hated because he was hated. I don't think we believe, and again, most Christians, most people who claim Christian faith aren't Christian. What little reputation you think you have, you're holding on to. (laughs) It means nothing. So, but what's interesting is in this podcast, they ask her how we get, how we got here, you know, to basically this gender indoctrination place that we're in. And she did rattle off a few reasons, but again, 
the big reason, in my opinion, she never mentioned, and that was comfort and fear, like I think she's expressing. And I think we allowed this to really take root in a lot of us. And I'll blast us here as well. I mean, we've been far more silent than we've been outspoken in our life. And that's a shame on us. You know, but we allowed this fear to kind of take root and we've allowed our comforts to take it like we don't want to give rid of them. We don't want to give up our comforts. And nobody wants to be sitting in a jail cell when you could be sitting in a nice air conditioned home with electronics and streaming services. That's a seems like a big risk, right? Um, but really, in the last seems like, you know, f- few years, five years, whatever, when this gender indoctrination this homosexual kind of craze has hit hyperdrive. A lot of Christians, a lot of conservatives kind of chose to not fight at the level that was probably required. And again, maybe it's because our comfort was more important. I think that's certainly a reason, you know, I think maybe churches kind of refused to fight for a lot of reasons, Maybe some of them could have been financial reasons. You know, we've yeah. talked before about how these churches take out, you know, they're in palaces that you don't know how they possibly can afford them. You know, so maybe they're financially up against the wall, some of them. And I think some of it too is we have unqualified men that are serving in positions of pastor and, and these sorts of things. So maybe they just don't want to speak up or maybe they're just, unqualified to really speak on a topic because they aren't qualified for the positions that they're holding, I think mm-hmm. could be part of the why you know, part of the reason why churches have been largely silent in too many respects on and this these mega churches. I don't know. And they have a lot of staff they pay too. So they don't want to lose members. Then they won't be able to pay their staff and everybody's gonna be mad at them, you know? Yeah. I mean, cause you start speaking out against the government these institutions, maybe the fear is that, well, maybe they're going to start focusing on me a little bit more. And, you know, we've are, I think there were stories a few years ago where the mayor, I think of Houston was trying to basically get all of a certain churches, pastor sermons. She was trying to basically get them so they could listen to him and find out when he was speaking about homosexuality and stuff. And, and that could be a fear for pastors. And I don't blame them. You know, if the government decides to start trying to take your, you know, 501c3 status or whatever. Gosh, we got to let it happen. Well, it's going to happen. Like it should be happening by now when it's not because they give in. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, yeah, it's kind of the, uh, the cold water analogy, right? Like you might as well just dive in. If you're trying to tiptoe in, walk down the ladder of the pool. You know, it's going to be harder. You might as well just go to the deep end and dive in, you know, just just dive into the confrontation because it's going to come and uh, there's no sense in running from it. So you're probably just going to do more damage in the long run running from it than just standing and fighting. So. Uh, but anyways, that was kind of my first thought there. But what did she actually talk about? What did the podcast talk about? Well, as I mentioned, they were kind of looking back at some of the history and some of the people that got us to where we are. And really the first fella that they brought up, you might be familiar with if you had watched Matt Walsh's What is a Woman documentary. And that was a man by the name John Money. And John Money was heavily discussed in this episode. They mentioned John Money was the one who coined the term gender identity. 
as well as gender theory. And he did that, I guess, back in the 1920s. And then uh, they said he believed that gender was malleable. And he actually decided to test this theory, I think, for the first time, really, in the 1960s. And he decided to test it on a set of identical twins. And these twins that he found, uh, I guess one of them, and they mentioned this in the What is a Woman documentary as well, but one of the twins had sort of a botched circumcision where somehow they like destroyed the boy's genitals during the circumcision. So once John Money found out about these boys, he somehow petitioned the parents that, hey, I've got this theory that gender is just sort of malleable. We can make this boy who has these massive genitals, we can just make him a girl and he'll be none the wiser and he'll live a happy life as a girl. So that was his sort of plan here. That's weird. That's just a weird theory that you really think that he wouldn't know. That's so bizarre. Well, I can't believe so that people believe well. that. You know, this kid's already got a incredibly difficult life laid out for him. So your thought process is, his life's going to be really difficult already. Why don't we just make it nearly unbearable? But there, okay, so, so there was no plastic surgery back then that could at least. I don't know fix a little but so what like he'd still be a man yeah i, I mean i don't know how i mean I, yeah i don't know to what level they were able to make him look or appear as a woman i'm not sure back in the they 60s identical twins too like that yeah science oh huh gosh it's great but i mean first off we can't let the parents I mean, off the hook here right because you know, the parents either were intentionally or unintentionally abusive to these kids. They had to say they were fraternal for this to work. Because <laughs> everybody knew they were twins. Well, aren't there identical male and female? I no, because it's an egg that's split. Oh, that makes sense then. I don't know. So, I don't think there can be identical male and female. I don't know how that's possible because it's one egg that splits. Yeah, I don't know. But either way, the parents should be held to some account here. We can't let put all the blame on John Money because they are the ones who decided to let John Money play God with their children. And sadly, as they explain the story in here, they did ultimately reap a just uh, reward, I guess, for them allowing someone else to play God with their children. They explain in here that the boy that tried to transition or was forced to transition, I should mm. say, into a girl... They said that he had always resisted the female gender. And then after finding out from his lousy parents later on in life that he was in fact a boy, he did detransition and ultimately killed himself um, because of the, the difficulty he had. And then his icing on the satanic cake, the other brother, the other twin brother who wasn't transitioned, he killed himself as well. And uh, it's worth mentioning that the brother who didn't transition always blamed John Money for the problems that they had in their life. Yet, John Money is still held up as a hero in, you know, sex science and gender science to this day. Wasn't he the one that just got that statue in Indiana? Might be. I think it was John Money. Uh, I'm sure this twin would feel differently about that, but... Hmm. I do have a few audio clips I wanted to play from this episode because I thought they were interesting. 
So here's this first one. Technologists shed further light on his controversial work. John Money was an experimenter on on human beings, and this predated uh, informed consent and experimental design and protection of human subjects. His whole philosophy was, I have an idea, let's do some things to people and see what happens. Let's do some things to people and see what happens. Boy, that sounds great. And, you know, really over the last two years, you know, I think we've seen and we've kind of experienced this firsthand, you know, maybe it's always sort of been the case, but just really in the last two years is what stuck out to me, you know, because doctors, I think science or doctors and scientists without faith in God, I think they really just see humans that way. You know, they're interesting test subjects, you know, these people with this sort of medical or scientific mind, and, you know, does it ruin the person's life? Does it maim them? Does it kill them? Did the science advance? Well, that's all that matters, right? It's sad that we have so many more doctors and scientists with this mindset today. It's so common now. Yeah, I mean, if you ask the right people, the last two and a half years of COVID experimentation was just this. We have yeah. this vaccine that might work. Let's trust give it a whirl this, on a worldwide stage, right? They wouldn't lie to you. Ends justify the mean of it means of it advances the science. And I mean, again, you can go back quite a ways, right? I mean, on our nation, after World War II, bringing the Nazi scientists over here, you know, oh, the Nazis are, they're awful, they're evil, they're doing all these sorts of things. But let's make sure we get all those Nazi scientists over here that did all that really good work. Let's make sure we bring them here, get them integrated in our government, in our medical communities, our scientific communities. Sure, they're soulless witch doctors, but they advance the science, right? And in the end, as long as the ends can justify the means, what does it matter? So certainly, I don't think this is new. It certainly wasn't new in John Money's day, but... I do think we have gotten a taste of this on a global scale, I suppose, if you yeah. want to say that, in the last couple of years. And uh, I, yeah, I don't know what it is about that mindset of, you know, medical or scientific advancement at all cost. And as long as the, yeah. the end of it, you know, can prove to have some sort of benefit, well, then it makes all the other stuff worthwhile are they just trying to make a name for themselves like they go down in history as doing something great for scientific um yeah or whatever my name they just want in the scientific community and then just cover up all the mistakes so i got this other clip <laughs> here let's see if i can pull this up This is, I think, by a, a lady named Judith Butler. ...and began to transform the discussion. Then things take an interesting turn in the late 80s and early 90s with, through the work of philosopher Judith Butler. And Judith Butler was the first one to really argue that not only is gender a social construct, but sex itself. Our understanding of biological sex, maleness, and femaleness is also a social construct. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of the first part there on Judith Butler. I think I have this second clip here. 
of her as well. Let me see what this one says. 22, whatever year it is. When you hear people talk about, I am a female, even though I have a male body, they're not, usually they're not making some radical anti-realist claim. You know, they're usually, they're not saying, well, sex and gender are social constructs, so I might as well identify with whatever seems to fit me. Right. But they're, they're making what they believe is like a very realist claim. Like, no, I am, my gender identity is real. It's intrinsic. It's innate. It's unchanging to the point where the body is what has to change because this inner sense of self is so, is so real. So think how bizarre, I don't want to be harsh, too harsh with my language. Think how bizarre this line of thinking is. You know, the idea that I have this thought in my head of what my sex or gender, if you want to split them up, sex and gender, I do not. I think they're the same thing. But, you know, you have this thought that becomes more real than the physical body that you have. Mm -hmm. You know, breasts and a vagina are less real than the idea of being a boy. Like... To me, I mean, that just seems like a level of self-delusion that's almost beyond comprehension. Yeah. It's really strange. Yeah, I I just feel like, what do these kids, I mean, I'm just thinking of the teens, like, what are they thinking to convince themselves? Like, what is it about them that they feel is the opposite? What are they feeling? What are they thinking about themselves? It's like looking at fire and being like man fire is super cold it's just crazy how cold fire is and you're like no nah, dude fire's really hot and you're like no my hands are kind of hot so i'm gonna stick them in this f- cold fire and then you're just watching the flesh burn off you know it's like no you're a girl you have the girl body that's what it means that's how you know but what's also more shameful is again, we have this same soulless medical and scientific community right there to tell them, you know, in fact, they are the ones living in truth, you know, but those who would claim the opposite, you know, that the body is what's real and the thoughts aren't, they're the deniers of reality somehow. So we don't have people anymore that they would say have a mental disorder. They would never claim that. It's only affirmation. You're not allowed to say mental disorder. Well, I don't know. Again, I mean, it doesn't seem to be nearly as prevalent. I don't think it is a social thing. I don't think they would. Well, it's certainly a social contagion. We've talked about that, but I don't know what level they would deem somebody as having a, you know, because we know it as gender dysphoria. That's the sort of medical term. But how rare that is. But do they even recognize social contagion in any other aspect besides this that they would have to reject it just peer (laughs) pressure or just yeah do they even talk about peer pressure like remember that drug campaign when we were kids and it was like the you wear that shirt that had like the d r u g and they were talking about peer pressure and you know rejecting drugs and all of that i I wonder if they do that anymore to like you know what if you want to do drugs it's just the way you were born. Just embrace it. Don't run away from crack it's cocaine. What you feel. Just smoke it. 
It's the way you were pulling. I don't know. Yeah, how do you tell them that peer pressure is wrong, how do you, but you thinking you you're a boy as a girl is completely normal? Like, I feel angry. I feel like hurting people. So you're going to affirm me in that? Yes, I'm going to help you kill somebody because that is the morally responsible thing to do in today's medical society. I mean, you have to apply it to everything if that's... No, you don't. That's the thing. You just get to willy-nilly decide. If they can make decide. money off of it, they will. That's, that's the big kicker. Yeah. And really, I mean, that's why I think it's just a, a level of malevolence that I don't know when that's outside of. I mean, obviously, you know, the big ones, you know, the Nazis, you know, the uh, the communists in Russia and these, you know, the Soviet Union and these people. But to push this level and affirm this level of sort of denial to the point of mutilation is crazy. Um, but again, I think the experiment is the point in a lot of respects. You know, it does also help, like you mentioned, that it brings along an endless, you know, flow of cash to your hospital and medical clinics. But like, this is Dr. Frankenstein stuff. You know, it's playing God while destroying the real lives of the people you're dealing with. Yeah. And... You know, we've talked in recent episodes how these gender clinics in the in Europe are being sued to the point of having to close their doors. And it's a shame that they're being closed down because of money reasons instead of moral reasons. Yeah. But I guess yeah. whatever the case is, it's a, a good reason, in my opinion. So yeah. they go on in this episode and they talk to this lady whose name is Mary Rice Hassan, I believe. And she wrote a book called Get Out Now. I think it's like seven reasons why you should pull your kids from public school before it's too late. Um, if you're watching the video, you'll see it on the screen. If you are on the podcast, it'll be down in the show notes. You can go follow that link. And uh, she sort of discussed how compromised the schools have become in the last few years and really in the last decade. And she mentioned how there are groups like uh, Gender or Glisten, Gender Spectrum, Human Rights Campaign, and different, you know, sort of LGBTQ activist groups that were already in schools as far back as like 2014, um, teaching these teachers in different training sessions or whatever, this sort of queer theory gender theory ideology so they were already promoting this in schools going back eight years from now or eight years back you know so we're really playing catch up if you're just sort of coming to this now with everything we are we've yeah. never caught anything right when it started but i mean this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier you know get your kids out of school get your children out of school um, homeschool your kids. Again, I believe this is the revolution we need is to get the next generation out of these indoctrination centers. And I get it, it's hard, but I don't think the argument can even stand anymore that the education is worthwhile. I mean, we've been seeing for years and years that education in America is on the decline. So it's not like they're losing some world-class education. I know. You can teach them at home. <laughs> I mean, our grandparents probably only finished eighth or ninth grade, honestly. And they were just the most hardworking, dedicated 
generation. I mean, I'm sure there's reasons they didn't yeah. finish school, but I was just thinking my grandpa didn't finish ninth grade and he was so smart. He knew so much, um, especially history. He was great in all areas. He was so smart. I didn't think right, they're just because your kids are going to show you if they have a love for learning. Yeah. And then you, you continue can continue learning. Love. It's not like you have to cram everything there is to know um, up until they're 18. Like you continue learning your whole life. Like history is great, but who says you have to be finished by this age no, and you, you can't learn anymore? Like we just need to. Yeah, I just have a different view on education i think it i'm not saying a, your kids don't need to finish school that's not my point well, i'm just it maybe even made sense to grow up fast when you only live 40 45 years well we're living into our 80s and 90s now so who says you have to be a fully functioning supposed grown up at 18 like you don't have to necessarily you know Take some time, raise your kid on your own, let them. That's what I mean. It's like, it's easy to teach them. They're not gonna, they don't get as much out of it in school. Kids are just yeah. disrupting the class the whole time. It's just too many distractions. Like I said, distractions here with four kids homeschooling. I just can't imagine how they handle it in school now because they just, you got to separate the kids at home. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't envy teachers for sure. That's not a great, yeah. not something I could do, but homeschooling them is something you can do because they're your kids. Yeah. God will bless them. But one point that Mary does bring up, she brings up the notion that so much of this queer theory or this really LGBTQ activism, she said, was the result of the same-sex marriage ruling from the Supreme Court that I believe happened in 2013. She mentioned how once gay rights were established, trans rights became really the next marker. And, um, you know, many people discussed this really at the time when the gay marriage rulings were coming out in the court. They kind of made the case that like, eh, this is a slippery slope. It's not going to stop with gay marriage. It's going to open the door to a whole lot of other, um, you know, areas and trans rights seems to be kind of what they had in mind. And I think this is why so many today uh, are warning, you know, that if we don't get a hold on this and start putting a stop to really this transing of uh, America and transing of our youth, that pedophilia is next, you know? Yeah. Because I don't think you can make the argument that a child can on one hand determine if they want to chop their genitals off and then on the other side of your mouth say, well, they aren't mature enough to decide if they want to sleep with one of Jeffrey Epstein's clientele, you know, or some random adult. Well, they're old enough to make a decision that's going to affect the rest of their life with mm -hmm. their body, but they aren't old enough to decide who they have a relationship with. Yeah. You can't make that. I don't know that's that you can make such... that argument. So I can't. It's dangerous. I don't know. I, there's just so much wrong with that. I was just thinking the the Matt Walsh documentary, What is a Woman? He didn't bring up pedophilia to any of the people he was interviewing, was he? No, I mean, I think he really had his point 
to stick to, and he was really yeah, trying to stick I with it. I kind of wish that he would have like brought up that argument that you just said and what they would have said because um, the idea that kids could be ready at young ages for adult romantic relationships. Like people need to hear that this is actually the agenda of all these people who advocate for youth uh, gender reassignment surgery. They're like, whatever the kid wants, if they're ready, that's what they say. And why would they not use the same, the same argument? If the kid is ready, that's it. That's all it's based off of. Kids don't know what they're ready for. They certainly don't. But I mean, that's the problem, right? Once wickedness and sort of this, you allow wickedness and destructive behaviors to sort yeah. of rule the day. They're teaching kids to be their own God. Everything our culture is. Um, I think they brought that yourself, up. In, they brought that up in the podcast. Yeah. Make yourself a brand. Yes. Um, give yourself a new a name. label. They're like these kids get their, um, they get to make their pronouns. And one of the ladies, I think it was near the end of the podcast, was just saying how kids get all excited when when one of their friends, you know, says, oh, I think I'm, you know, a girl says, I think I'm a boy. And then the friend goes, oh, that's so exciting. Now you get to choose your boy name. Like, that's the excitement of it is that you get to choose your name. Like you get to be in charge. You're God. You get to say what you are. You get to, and then the excitement of picking a name. Like you're choosing a name for your baby or something or your pet. <laughs> I mean, again, I think that's largely that social contagion part of it yes. where, I mean, everybody's a brand. Everything's, you know, self-marketing, self-promotion, self-idolizing. You're brave. They applaud yeah. that. Not us. We're stern in our rebukes against such things. Uh, but one point of optimism, I don't want to leave you with all negative here. One point of optimism they did bring up in here is that Europe, at least, is changing their protocols on how they handle gender dysphoria, you know, the medical term for it. Uh, they mentioned they've stopped really hormone therapies and they've stopped largely medical interventions. Again, mostly due to the lawsuits, but the lawsuits are coming because the scientist is, or the science is so flawed. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, I guess they're starting to uh, put an end to that cash flow, which means they don't really have the incentive quite as much to butcher the kids. So that is positive. Gender dysphoria was never something that they would do a surgery for, especially a young age like that. They would just, they always say, oh, they grow out of it. If you really have gender dysphoria, you know, and it carries on into adulthood, like they said in the documentary that what is a woman, they'll just end up being gay or they grow out of it. Well, and we could have a society that was focused on, I don't know, telling the truth to people and saying, listen, son, I understand that you feel like a girl. Let's look in the mirror. You are not a girl. We've got to come to terms with that. You know, I mean, we could do this in a lot of things. I understand that you want that laptop. Open your wallet. You can't afford that laptop. (laughs) There's no money in there. You see, now we just start solving problems, you know, all sorts of problems. So would they create a forever client when they go through that surgery? Because it's not a one time like 
one and done thing. They need. Well, yeah, and that's why it's the endless cash cow. So um, it's a good episode. There's a lot more in there than we were able to discuss here. So we recommend you give it a listen. Listen to all of the the previous episodes. They're good. And again, this is the world we're living in. These are the problems we have to face, the problems your kids are going to have to face. So uh, don't go into it blindly. You know, be aware and listen to the people that are discussing this stuff. So uh, do you have any last thoughts on the news before we finish on our Bible topic for the week? Oh, let's go to the Bible topic. All right. So as we mentioned, our Bible topic for the week is our assurances of salvation. And we're going through 10 assurances of salvation all from the book of First John. We're on point number five today, and we've mentioned this before. You will not find one of your assurances of salvation to be, I went down to the altar and I said a prayer when I was a kid that one time. So these are the real biblical assurances of salvation. There's probably more, you know, if you want to comb the scriptures, but these are the 10 I pulled out of the book of First John, and I think it's a good no, I think it's good if you, if you can answer yes to all of these or most of these. I think you're right in your soul, and that's a good place to start. So do you want to read, honey? First John chapter two, verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Yep, whoever loves his brother. That is an assurance of your salvation. So love paves the way for acceptance and forgiveness. Uh, above all, we read in First Peter, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. First Peter 4.8. And we're called to love, just as we're called to forgive. And in fact, it's love that leads to forgiveness. Um, And I would say it's ultimately love for Jesus that leads us to love and forgive one another. Jesus in Luke chapter 7, verse 47, speaking of the sinful woman, he says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. You know, so our love for Jesus and recognizing our own flaws and our own failures that, you know, he was able to forgive, it should leave, lead us, you know, when we really understand it, to love and forgive others, you know, because when you think about it, how prideful and really delusional would we have to be to think that an offense that someone would commit against us is less forgivable than a sin that we would commit against a holy and perfect and righteous God that we do probably a dozen times a day at least. Yeah. I know. Crazy. I know, because he is holy and we're not, but we are called to be holy. So being holy is doing what he demonstrated towards us. But he doesn't even call us uh, to anything that he didn't first demonstrate. So why would we not want to be like our God in humility? Um, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He He lowered himself to position of a servant and he loved his disciples. They were not, they were not perfect. And they said things that were foolish, arguing over who would be greatest in the kingdom. And he, they, and they wouldn't understand the things Jesus said often. They were always kind of confused and he had to rebuke them often. And he would bring up how 
they had little faith. So they weren't perfect at all. We can see that when reading the scriptures. Um, but Jesus loved them. So if Jesus loved them and served them, surely we, we can love those God has placed in our life who also are not perfect, but knowing we aren't either. So I think it's important that we remember how he demonstrated love, not just that he demonstrated it, but who he demonstrated it to. Like he chose those disciples and we see, you know, the pride in them, just how they didn't even fully believe he was the Messiah. They doubted a lot. They were fearful. And how many people in our life are like that, you know, complain about people and we can just see ourselves in the disciples when they're in unbelief or confused about what Jesus is talking about, taking things literal when it's a spiritual meaning. And, and he did, he just, he humbled himself and, and served them. He loved them. He prayed for them. I just, yeah, he's just the perfect example. When you think on that, you're like, how could I not love? I yeah. love my brother, and my sister. Again, it's what we're called to do. And it's one of the ways that we can be assured of our salvation. You know, but I, it is challenging. You know, loving our brothers and our sisters is challenging. Um, and I would say it's one of the more difficult assurances that we will face, you know, at least in practice, because it's yeah. easy to love Jesus. <laughs> you know, he's perfect. He's righteous. He works miracles. Yeah. All of that is easy to love. You know, your brother or your sister, on the other hand, they're prideful, they're arrogant, they're envious, they get angry, and any other number of sins, the same sins that we commit against yeah. them. But we're still called to love them, even in spite of all those things. And I heard a saying once that I think, or well, they said the true measure of a Christian isn't if you love Jesus, but if you love Judas. Now, I think that might be an extreme example because <laughs> I don't know, loving, you know, those who God hates, you know, that's a discussion, I suppose. But I think the sentiment of it is accurate. Yeah. Because again, Jesus is not hard to love. Your brother is. But do you love them? Because that's how we will know that our salvation is assured. Mm -hmm. um, you know, forgiveness is something we're called to. Love is something we're called to, you know, forgiving offenses that people have done against you is things that we're called to. And largely forgiveness, it seems like a spiritual practice that's dying in this country. You know, our society loves to bury people when they do wrong. You know, just think of President Trump, you know, there's half the country in, or half the people in this world, Trump will never be able to get right. He could save babies from a burning building and give all of his money to the poor. They'd hate the man. Forgiveness doesn't exist in their eyes. And we as believers, we really have to strive and pray to be people of forgiveness. Because that's one of the, I think, really the surest testimonies of our faith walk to a lost world. Like you've seen those episodes at times or a few stories here and there where, you know, a mother or whatever will stand up in court and say that she forgives, you know, the person that killed their kid. I've seen those stories once or twice. And like, man, it's powerful to stand up and someone that you should hate. And the world tells you you have every right to hate and seek vengeance on and say, I forgive you. Like, even if you don't even mean it in that moment, 
but just to have the courage to say it and trust that God's going to work forgiveness into right. your heart. Yeah. Uh, boy, that's powerful, I think. So, yeah, and you can just because you, as you recognize, you have to forgive because God has forgiven you. Our emotions sometimes are just so strong that we can't get past our emotions. Uh, the way we feel, but in our mind, we want to forgive and we have to pray, God, help me to forgive them. I want to forgive, I desire to forgive them. And I know my emotions are high right now. Even things from the past, if you've been hurt as a kid, like so many women have been sexually abused. I mean, boys have too, but gosh, they carry that their whole lives with unforgiveness and bitterness, just hatred. And... Yeah, I just, you have to ask God to help you forgive. Because I'm sure you're just so emotional about it. It's all you can feel is the anger. And it's it's definitely something only God can do in you. Like you have to ask for it. It's not easy to forgive. It doesn't come, it doesn't come naturally. We don't naturally forgive. It is a move of God. It is a miracle, really. Yeah, forgiveness, repentance, it's all a miracle from God. So we can pray for it, and we should pray for it. Because again, this is one of the ways that we're told we can be um, certain of our salvation. Um, If we have this love for our brothers in us, if we desire to do good to them, you know, we should be striving to be servants, to be humble, to forgive all those sorts of things that we saw our Lord do. We should be striving to do them as well. So uh, that's point number five. Do you have any last thoughts on the news, the Bible topic, podcast? Yeah, I was just going to say just the whole forgiveness thing. It's not just a matter of saying it or believing it. But if the person you, I know we're talking about loving the brother. Well, forgiveness is loving them. But if they were in need and you wanted to help them even after they did you wrong, that means you have forgiven them. If you didn't forgive them, you would let them stay where they're at. You wouldn't help them, whatever the situation. If you saw them broke down on the side of the road or whatever, whatever scenario, you know if you've forgiven them, if it opportunity arises for you to bless them, whether or not you bless them or not. That's a good indication you've forgiven them because you do good to them. Yeah. But it doesn't come easy for sure. Yeah. So that's all we really have for today. And um, we will be back on Monday with our daily devotionals. If you haven't been listening to those, um, you should, they are good. We're going through a Advent devotional with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I think they've all been great. I love reading them. I love preparing the devotionals for them. They've been really good. And we will be back next week with our um, most likely assurances of salvation number six, potentially gender indoctrination number four. We'll see what the world throws at us. That's the plan for now. So we hope you guys have a great week. God bless. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. 
At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.